Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is Episode 1, an introduction to this series. Chemists often call their field the central science. This phrase is so popular among chemists that a university chemistry textbook popular for decades calls itself the central science. But why is chemistry so central? How did chemistry get to be what it is? Everything from soap, shampoo, perfume, paint, dye, paper, plastic, metal, machinery, fuel, computers, smartphones, fertilizers, vitamins, medications, clothing, and construction materials involves the science of chemistry. The largest scientific society in the world is probably the American Chemical Society, which claims over 150,000 members. Some of the largest companies in the world either derive their main value from chemical production or use chemicals to create their products. There are now over 150 million chemicals known, of which something like 350,000 are in industrial use. Without chemicals, our modern society would grind to a halt, and we'd be back in the pre-industrial age, if not the Stone Age. All biology, from living creatures to their food, is made of chemicals. All geology, that is, earth science and its rocks and minerals, is constructed of chemicals. All engineering requires understanding of chemicals to use them in industry. All medicine requires the knowledge of how chemicals can hurt or heal us. All astronomy, using light to examine distant objects, uses chemistry to know the components of those objects. And chemistry affects our everyday life. Without chemistry, there would be no food safety laws, for how would we test food? Without chemistry, there would be no octane number to decide what fuel is most efficient for an engine. Without chemistry, there could be no consistent paint colors, nor any way to know if pollution is a problem, or if the medicines we take to heal us are pure. Therefore, chemists are proud to be the central science. Yet over the past few decades, the word chemical has taken on a tone of poisonous toxicity, so much so that many commercial products style themselves chemical-free. This makes chemists shake their heads in chagrin because everything in the world is made of chemicals. To be chemical-free means to contain nothing. To a chemist, advertising something as chemical-free is like the tale of the emperor's new clothes. So, if time permits during this series, I hope to discuss a bit about pseudoscience, especially in regards to the word chemical-free, and the other term that gives chemists conniptions, natural. My hope for this podcast is that listeners return to the earlier sense of wonder and progress in chemistry, but still mindful of how chemicals affect our environment. So, what is chemistry? What field am I describing exactly? Chemists might say that chemistry is the study of matter, or stuff, and how it changes. The great German chemist August Kekulé defined chemistry in 1861 as the study of the material metamorphosis of matter. In short, chemistry is how matter transforms into other matter. It's a broad definition. Often a chemical process is invisible and mysterious, with no obvious explanation. 
which helps us to understand why chemistry took so long, in comparison to physics, to gel into a science. But this is why chemical changes are so interesting, both to us and to prehistoric peoples. Solids dissolve into liquids. They change color. They evolve gases, all in seemingly unpredictable ways. The whole process appears magical. These days, we might say that chemistry is how molecules and atoms interact. But the science of chemistry was founded before the existence of atoms and molecules was understood. So we must be careful not to be too specific with our definition, especially before the 20th century. During the 19th century, discussion of atoms and molecules was quite a fraught topic among chemists. Some scientists took great pains to avoid the topic, so as not to get into a fight with other chemists. The word chemistry itself didn't even exist before the 1500s, when the German scholar Georg Agricola first used the term. Before this time, the field was alchemy, a branch of natural philosophy. Chemistry is not alchemy, however, and alchemy is not the direct ancestor of chemistry. Alchemy did, though, lead to a new practical chemistry, with new techniques and materials discovered during alchemical practices. Use of the term science to describe the method for modeling the natural world was not common until the early 1800s. The podcast will explore how chemistry differentiated into various branches and subdivisions. Some of these you may have heard of, such as organic chemistry, biochemistry, and physical chemistry. But in the 21st century, there are now dozens of different branches of chemistry, many of which overlap in their interests, ranging from geochemistry to analytical chemistry, bioinorganic chemistry, pharmaceutical chemistry, and astrochemistry. Chemistry spans human existence from Earth to other planets. From smaller than viruses to entire galaxies, the goal of this podcast is to tell the story of chemistry, a science that dates back to prehistory. Yet only in the 18th century did chemistry become what we can call a real science. The science of chemistry is bound up with a desire for humanity to understand the objects and materials around them, to predict their properties and how to use the properties of those materials, those chemicals. To create something new, interesting, and ultimately useful things for the benefit of people. The history of chemistry is also the history of those people who discovered chemical principles, that is, theories or models to explain chemical change. Therefore, I shall not only talk about overarching chemical principles and something about the new materials discovered, but something of the times and places in which those chemical researchers worked. As well as the researchers' personalities, foibles, and interests, chemists themselves learn almost nothing about the historical development of their science, other than occasional laws or rules named after those scientists who discovered them, and that's too bad. Textbooks and chemistry professors claim to need to spend all of their time on how chemistry works, not its development. To a high school or undergraduate student, chemistry seems to be a finalized topic, as a given, unchangeable fact. To be honest, in graduate school, where one gets higher degrees, students see it differently. But those undergraduate and high school chemical facts have changed. For example, in the 1950s, you learned that certain gaseous elements were inert; they never react with other elements. 
That changed in 1962 with the discovery of the first compound containing one of those so-called inert elements. And a quick shift in terminology for these elements from inert to noble. A college-level class on the history of chemistry is a relatively rare phenomenon. Therefore, I hope this podcast will interest my fellow scientists, chemists, and everyone else who has an interest in how chemistry has come to shape modern human existence. Much of the basic backbone of the podcast is patterned after my graphic novelization of the history of chemistry called OMG, How Chemistry Came to Be, published by World Scientific Publishing. This podcast, however, will afford me the possibility to plumb the story a bit broader and deeper than the book allowed in only 200 pages. As to my background, I am a chemist by education. I have a doctoral degree in chemistry. The field of research for my doctorate was physical chemistry, that is, how to apply physical principles to chemistry. In particular, I studied surface chemistry, which is where most of the chemical action is. At a surface where atoms and molecules can land or dislodge, bump together, and do interesting things. But the history of chemistry is also history. My educational background is not as a historian, so if I don't follow established historical rules for telling how chemistry developed over thousands of years, please forgive me. The goal is not to present an academic history of chemistry. Over the past few decades, I have moved away from chemical research to scientific communication and even have published some peer-reviewed articles in obscure corners of chemical history. I've begun learning some of the practices and nuances of the academic world of humanities. When I discuss dates, I will not be using the popular terms B.C. and A.D., which presuppose a particular religious view of the world. B.C. means before Christ. A.D., Anno Domini, is a Latin phrase for in the year of our Lord. Rather, I will use the more inclusive terms B.C.E., before the Common Era, and C.E., Common Era, so that all listeners to this podcast have a stake in the story. Many of the people and places I shall describe did not know or use English. In fact, much of the earliest chemical history existed before the English language came into being. During the earliest chemical writings of the modern period, English was extremely rarely used. Latin was preferred instead. So, also forgive my pronunciation of non-English terms. One of my interests is different languages, but I am only a native speaker of American English. Chemistry is famous, or maybe infamous, for its seemingly impenetrable terminology. For example, reading a list of ingredients on a supermarket package might seem impossible. But to a chemist, a chemical name gives precise and detailed information about the chemical's molecular structure. Terminology describing a chemical itself shifted dramatically in the late 1700s, from describing the property or source of the chemical to explaining its atomic constituents and structure. How that happened is a fascinating vignette bound up with human ego, politics, and even revolution. Hence, we shall explore the development of modern chemical terminology as well. In many horror and science fiction movies, 
Cinematographers like to portray a chemistry laboratory as an array of glassware filled with liquids sporting bright colors, often bubbling or emitting gases and smoke. It turns out that most chemistry laboratories, including the ones I've worked in, don't look like that. The movie versions have been enhanced with food coloring and dry ice. Both chemicals. Still, the evolution of the equipment that chemists use to synthesize and analyze materials will naturally be a subject in the podcast. Even what it means to synthesize and analyze a material is important, and I hope to include that. My general plan for the podcast series will be to start at the earliest evidence of practical chemistry among humans. Then we shall discuss the first models or theories of matter invented by the Greeks and Chinese. From there, we slide into a discussion of alchemy, which spans the late Roman Empire through the Middle Ages, and even a bit into the modern era. Only then do we start talking about the first researchers we can call chemists in the 1600s. The 1700s bring change in the founding of what we can call modern chemistry. By the early 1800s, we can begin to discern the development of different branches of chemistry and revival of atomic theory of matter. Organic chemistry became important in the 19th century along with the idea that molecules have a definite structure and how we know that. Later in that century, the gradual discovery of dozens of elements leads to the famous periodic table. But the periodic table isn't just a chart for high schoolers to memorize, and we shall see why it was so important. In the last quarter of the 19th century, the branch we now call physical chemistry evolved, as did the first great wave of chemical industry. Simultaneously and unfortunately, early use of chemistry in warfare begins. By the end of the 19th century, chemists realized that atoms are real and, in fact, are made of tinier particles. The 20th century allowed us to discern the forces that hold atoms together in particular shapes in molecules. By the mid-20th century, polymers reshaped modern human civilization, creating a variety of new molecules with previously unheard-of properties. Chemists began to learn how biology works through chemical reactions at this time. Simultaneously, knowledge of how atoms are constructed led scientists to invent new atoms and elements. By the late 20th century, chemists realized the materials cycle through our biological environment and that even tiny concentrations of some chemicals have a gigantic effect on that environment. Also at this time, we shall encounter the realization that molecules themselves can form larger structures and how those supramolecular structures can be used for our benefit. Within the last couple of decades, environmental aspects of chemistry have become ever more important and we shall see why. Along this journey, I plan to include some interesting tidbits about the people who created modern chemistry, how their society affected chemistry, and vice versa. Chemistry affects art, music, literature, politics, and language, not to mention other sciences such as biology, physics, and geology. And these other sciences have in turn affected chemistry as well. In a nutshell, that's the general scheme of the podcast. Let me caution that this series will not teach you the fine points of chemistry itself. You will not learn how to calculate molecular mass, or molarity of a solution, or balance an equation. You will not have to find the enthalpy of reaction, 
or determine the symmetry of a molecule, or recall a keto-enol tautomerism. You aren't going to need to know the relative solubilities of nitrates and carbonates for this series. This podcast is not likely to help you with your freshman chemistry problem sets. If you need help, talk to your TA or professor. This podcast is about the history of chemistry, its origins, how it developed, and what major ideas chemistry brought into the world of science and general human knowledge. As Professor Hugh Salzberg noted in his book From Caveman to Chemist, the history of chemistry is full of paradoxes and oddities, false starts and misdirections. Some developments seem to emerge from random luck or extra hard work. Some developments were delayed because a scientist's paper was forgotten or ignored, improperly published, published in an obscure journal few people cared about, or even in a language most chemists didn't understand. Sometimes two people figured out something simultaneously, even on different continents, and there were disputes as to who was first. Some ideas, like phlogiston and vitalism, were so entrenched that even when presented with overwhelming evidence, chemists refused to give them up. It took bravado and ego to push aside phlogiston and endless experimentation to eliminate vitalism. Scientists are human like everyone else. Their frailties, such as ego or stubbornness or prejudice, often determine the outcome of knowledge. The German poet Goethe, who lived at the end of the 18th and beginning of the 19th century, sums up the chemical view nicely, in my opinion. Wer sie nicht kennte, die Elemente, ihre Kraft und Eigenschaft, wäre kein Meister über die Geister. Or in English, whoever doesn't know about the elements, their property and power, will never be master over the spirits. It rhymes better in the original German, though. So, join me for the history of chemistry, the central science. In the next episode, we shall start at the dawn of chemistry and explore how prehistoric societies began to create a practical chemistry. Until then, brave the elements. Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast. <laughs> <laughs>